0: Ah. Well, don't clap too soon, okay. We're just getting started, you know. My favorite line uh, is probably, uh, anyone willing to go 15 should be willing to go 10. Uh, so five minutes today. You're welcome. Here we go. But I, I, I saw that and I thought, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if things were that easy, if things were that comfortable? But I think the reality is, um, church isn't the 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 primary priority of church isn't comfort the primary priority of church it's not about our comfort and the reality is because of that uh, churches often face tension often face tension Um, sometimes it's tension from from the outside uh, but sometimes if we uh, know well from the last few years can also be tension from inside over the last few years, I think we've experienced some pain and disappointment, conflicts, sharp disagreements, maybe even heartbreak from people leaving. But as we'll see today, as we continue with Romans, this is not a modern problem. This didn't just happen. COVID or elections or anything that's happening in our world today, it didn't create church tension out of nowhere. This is something that's been around for a long time. Some of actually, most of, I would say, the early churches experienced severe tension, so much so that it seemed like it would undo the work that the early apostles had done. And today, as we continue Romans and in our sort of our journey of reading Romans backwards, right, starting at the end, kind of getting the context, and then going back to the beginning, uh, we're going to see that the churches in Rome were one of these, well, a few of these churches. They were churches that were experiencing so much tension that paul was worried they were going to split and so he writes to them in this letter if this is your first time my name is andrew i'm the student ministry pastor here and i um, excited we're, we're looking at romans and, and the idea of it is we're, we start uh last two weeks we looked at uh, verses or chapter 16 chapter 16 we get some of the context we see that uh, the church in rome um, i don't know about you but when i think about the church in rome i often think of like the the giant cathedrals and these um, massive paintings and this massive power and and all these kind of things but when we started looking at chapter 16 we saw that wasn't the case they were small little house churches and they were mixed with so many different kinds of people And so when you get churches that were mixed with so many different kinds of people, you get so many different kinds of opinions, and you get so many different kinds of readings, and with that you get tension. And so Paul is writing to that, and as he writes to that, he he presents a big idea, and this big idea uh, is his foundation for what he's about to say. We're going to look at Romans 14 and 15 today. It's a lot to cover. We're going to jump in and out, Um, but we're doing this because in Romans 14 and 15, we get to see what Paul says about church and unity and tension. And this big idea, this foundation for us, is that church is a family of families. Church is a family of families. Paul's using this to set a foundation um, so that he can kind of address the problems that are going on. But before he can address the problems that are going on, he wants to make sure that it's in their heads that church is a family of families just to to kind of push this uh, point across, even before getting to Romans, how does the Lord's prayer start? Just yell it out. It's not a rhetorical question. Our Father? Right. Our Father. I don't know about you, but the only other people that call my dad, dad, other than me, are my siblings. The only other people that call my dad, dad, other than me, are my siblings. Uh, um, And so there's already this idea throughout Christianity that we're siblings. And Paul, in in the, the letter to the Romans, is reaffirming this idea. In Romans alone, he uses the word for brother, sister, or siblings 20 times, over 20 times. And so just in one letter, he's using this over 20 times. And the idea is he's trying to get it in their minds. You're a family. You're a family. You're siblings. This is my brother. This is my sister. These are my these are my family, and I think the reason he's doing that is because he's trying to say, as God's family, this is the foundation. As God's family, we're supposed to treat each other a certain way. As God's family, we are supposed to treat each other a certain way. And that brings us uh, to who we are introduced to today. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans 14. We're going to start in Romans 14. But we're doing Romans 14, 15 because in Romans 14, 15, we are introduced to this group, well, two groups really, that exist within the Romans churches. They're known as the weak and the strong. They're known as the weak and the strong. And the reason kind of why we've been, we've been going backwards is not only to get to the context of Romans, but also to really make sure we hit on these two groups to hit on the weak and strong. And so, my goal today, while, I, while I'm hoping to present some ideas, uh, I'm also hoping to kind of give pastor jim sort of an alley-oop lob pass um, so that as we go throughout romans the rest of the way he can kind of come back to some of these ideas they're, they're sitting in the back of your minds as we go through the rest of romans uh, author and uh, theologian scott mcknight he's uh, someone i've studied under with this he, he says the instructions to the weak and strong are the core of paul's live theology so they're the core they're the aim of the entire letter So who are they then? Who are they? Let's look at Romans 14, verse 1. Paul says, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on, another, or on a servants of another? Is it not their Lord that they stand or fall before? And are not they held, uh, and they will be upheld? For as the Lord who is able to make them stand. Do me a favor. Skip over to, to down just to verse ten for a quick second. I want to add just one more thing to these first four verses. It says, Why do you pass judgment on your brothers or sisters, or why do you despise your brothers or sisters? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of god reading just these first five verses i think we can get a feeling that it wasn't that there was just tension there was a lot of tension here this is serious stuff these are serious words paul's using and so as we look at the weak and the strong um, even before we kind of get to the thing what we're seeing is the weak and strong are real people and they have real problems Paul here is talking to real people in real churches. He's not using a Jesus kind of narrative-esque teaching method. He's writing to very real people who existed. And with that, he's addressing a very real problem. And if we kind of dive into it a little bit, what we kind of see is the very real problem is these two groups won't eat together. There's a lot of talk about food. These two groups will not eat together. They won't share a meal together. And so I think for us, it's a little confusing. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read it, it, it feels a little confusing to me. Like, there's all this talk about food. Is this really such a big deal? Like, Paul, you're using up a lot of space in a very crucial letter to talk about after-church lunch plans. Like, sure, sometimes we disagree whether to go to Habit or Chipotle, but like, is it really two chapters worth figuring out? Paul says yes yes it is he's trying to say this isn't just a theological disagreement um this isn't he's not worried about how people debate in a coffee house or a socratic seminar or something like that he's worried about live theology he's worried about how they live with each other he's not even worried about how they eat in private he's saying hey how you eat in private i'm not worried about that i'm worried about how you get along with each other i'm worried about unity i'm worried about the church as a whole and I think in that, he, he's saying, hey, look, church is more than just quietly attending on a Sunday morning. Church is more than that. There's a sense that, that this, some of these people were able to get together, but they, they weren't really together. Maybe they came together to, to, to read something or to, to, to sing or, or something like that, but they're not really together. He's saying church is more than just silently attending on a Sunday morning. It's about community. And if it's about community, it's about buying into one another. It's about investing in one another. Clearly, I think that's very important for Paul, and I think it's very important for the whole letter of Romans, as we'll see. And so with that, kind of the idea and the illustration that I think Paul's playing off of because he's talking about food and that I want us to look at today is this idea of a table. This idea of a table, of of coming to the table. And so for me, I I think it's this. I think if community is so important, one way that we can show that we're a family, that we're a family of families, is by coming to the table when it's hard and staying at the table when it's uncomfortable and so if you're following along in your notes point number two is this families come to the table families come to the table as you're writing that do me a favor uh, think back to your like childhood dining room table think back to like your family meals think back uh, to to that element Uh, think back to those memories what is coming to mind? What does the table represent for you? I think it's interesting. Uh, for me, I, the table was actually very meaningful to my family. Um, there, I, I can think back to childhood memories of, of sitting and having dinners together. It was important that we did that, and it's still important today. Actually, Katie and I um, will drive back to my family's home occasionally on Thursdays to try to have dinner with them to keep um, this up. And as I started to think about it, I started to think the table kind of represents a few things, right? The table represents commitment. You're giving your time. You're giving your attention, right? You're locking eyes. You're giving your focus to someone. Um, it, it's where we share ideas. It's where we share stories. It's, it's where we share what's going on with our life. Uh, it represents commitment. But I think with that, it also represents intimacy. Uh, the table was where I sat across from Bruce and Lilia and talked to them about Mary and Katie. shared that over a meal at a table. Uh, It's at the table now where where I get to hear uh, my much younger sister and her, her stories of ups and downs in high school, or where I get to reconnect with my brother. The table is intimacy. But I think with that, it's not just the special moments, it's also the hard moments we share at the table because I think the table can also equal healing in the sense where um, for me, I remember, and I think back when I'm thinking back to my memories, I'm not just thinking of, of family meals at the table. I'm also thinking of sometimes I had to have really hard conversations with my parents there. When things were serious, that was where we sat. That was where we discussed things. And so what happens when there's no longer a willingness to come to the table What happens when that's gone? That's what's happening in Rome. There's no longer a willingness to come to the table. So we have these two groups, and they're so, so convinced they're right that they won't come to the table. And so here's who they are. The first group we have, if you're following along, is the weak. So we have the weak. We're introduced to the weak in verse 1. It says... Uh, welcome those who are weak in faith. Or perhaps your translation says, welcome those who are weak in uh, conviction. And so the first thing we know about them, it says, welcome those who are weak in faith. It's interesting what I was learning and and what perhaps we can learn together is, it didn't actually mean what I thought it meant when he's saying weak in faith, um, because I actually think when it comes to their disagreement, they have the Bible on their side. See, the weak are uh, primarily Jewish believers in Rome. They're primarily Jewish believers in Rome, and So the weak are kind of characterized um, by sticking to the Torah. They stick to the Torah. So they follow uh, all the dietary laws in the Torah, right? So they're sticking to the Torah. And, that, and then the main thing that's coming up is, is this, they won't eat together because they're following the Torah and they're following kosher laws and all these different things. And what that kind of means if you are living in Rome and not Jerusalem is two different things, right? It's two different worlds, um, and so for them, they can only eat certain things. Primarily um, is leafy vegetables, is the, is the translation. Leafy vegetables. Uh, has anyone here done like the Daniel fast kind of thing? Think back to like the Daniel fast element kind of thing. You've got, uh, or even the story of Daniel, right? He doesn't want to eat what the king's preparing for him because it's been sacrificed to idols. There's this uncleanliness with the food. And so with that, right, he's cutting this out. He's only having vegetables and water. In a sense, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're, they're, They're avoiding everything that was unclean, which was basically all meat. All meat in Rome was, for the most part, sacrificed to idols. So they're just avoiding meat altogether. They don't want to be around it. And it's, it's interesting because um, that actually had an effect on them, which is the, the next one, which is D. Uh, they're weak in power. They're weak in power. They're weak in power and status. And so it's interesting. I actually think the weak get their name not because they're weak in conviction, but because they're weak in power. They're weak socially, socially. Rome was a society that was dominated by power. It was dominated by status. It was a hierarchy, right? Everyone knew what class you were in and you could only do certain things. You only had certain rights when it was uh, with other people. Maybe you, you could talk a certain way to someone um, if they're below you, but now if you're someone is above you, all of a sudden your demeanor has to change. And so it's this society that's dominated by power. And actually by being vegetarian, they are impacting their power and status in Rome. Because in Rome, everyone was religious, okay? There's no atheism. This didn't exist. It was unthought of. People would be like, that makes no sense. Everyone was religious. And for them, the main thing was rituals and sacrifices. That was like their religion, was all about rituals and sacrifices. And for them, the the most important of these was communal sacrifices. Meaning like, uh, not really what you did at home, but what we did together as a town, what we did together as a community, the big communal sacrifice. And I think that was important for a few reasons, not just to please the gods, but it was actually also important for them because that's how they reaffirmed society. That was how they reaffirmed society um, at these big communal sacrifices. If you were in power, you could kind of show people you were in power. If you weren't in power, maybe you could rub shoulders with someone who was and kind of climb the ladder a little bit. And so it was important for society. And so by being a vegetarian, it wasn't just a moral or lifestyle choice back then. It impacted your social standing. That's because, because they rejected the meat and, and the public sacrifices, they were looked down upon or forgotten by society. I think kind of, uh, there's not really a good translation necessarily today, but I kind of thought of like this idea where you keep getting passed up for the promotion and like maybe it's because like someone's a little closer to the boss than you are, right? Maybe you didn't go to the, the, the office party. And so you got passed over for, for a promotion. It's kind of like that. They're getting they're getting left out by society. They're getting looked down on by society. And because of that, their reaction, and especially their reaction in church, is that they're described as judgy. They judge. They're judgy. That's not a fun description. Right? When you think of someone who's judgy, what do you think of? It's not fun. Not someone you want to be around. So verse 3 and 4, it just says, And those who abstain, meaning those who are not eating the meat, must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment? They're judgy. Basically, they're playing the part of God. Right? They're, they're, they're primarily Jewish, not all of them, but they're primarily Jewish. They've got the Torah. They have food laws. And now when they see uh, these Gentile Christians who are in church with them eating things they're not supposed to do, they're judging them. They're saying, whoa, 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 no, no, no. And it's, it's sort of a, a more, it's almost like a, a, a spiritual condescending. They don't have the social power, but they got the spiritual power. And so they're using a spiritual condescending thing. They're judging them. And so over here, we have the weak, and, then they're, and they're, they're weak in, in conviction. They, they stick to the Torah. They have leafy vegetables, right? They're, they're avoiding meat, but they're also weak in power. On the other side you have the strong right you have the strong they're almost the the complete opposite so for starters the strong are primarily gentiles they're primarily gentiles in rome and because of that they're okay eating meat they're all right eating it they're like food is food it is what it is it's not impacting us we're okay having this and so they'll eat pork they won't feel bad about it they won't feel like they're unclean they'll eat the they'll eat the meat And also because they're Gentiles and because they've been in Rome longer, um, they have the social power. They are generally wealthier. They're generally more well-connected. They're generally uh, higher up on the totem pole. They have the social power. So they're strong not just in their convictions. Again, they're strong in power. Their problem is they despise the weak. That's another strong word. They despise the weak. Verse 3 says, Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. Paul's using some pretty strong language here. He's saying, again, in a, in a society that's all about honor, that's all about shame, that's all about class, he's saying they despise them. They treat them like they're nothing, they treat them like they're, they're worthless. Um, I one of the one of the just like, as you begin to think about it, one of the harshest comebacks I ever saw was in a TV show uh, called Scrubs. In it, there's a, a character named Jordan, um, and it's a medical uh, comedy. Uh, so it's like a comedy that takes place in in a, in a hospital, and Jordan is um, one of the board members of the hospital. So she's like, um, kind of snobby, kind of well up there, and uh, she's in this discussion with a, a one of the uh, doctors and they're 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 getting upset with her because they're like hey you pass me over for the promotion because you don't like me and she's like i don't i don't i don't hate you i don't dislike you i nothing you and it's like oh <laughs> that's actually that's actually pretty rough he's saying you're you're too far beneath me for me to hate you you don't matter enough in my mind for me to dislike you That's the language here. They despise them. They treat them like they're they're that far lower beneath them. So there's a superiority complex that's happening. They feel superior. They have the power. They've got the money. They've got the influence in society. Um, And this is a society where that's what matters. And so they're using that in the church. One's got the spiritual kind of like superiority. The other one's got the cultural superiority. And they're both trying to use it against each other. And so there's tension. The problem is, while one is so far on one side and the other one is so far on the other side, the place where they overlap is that they both think they're right. They both think they're right. They, they're, they're digging their heels in and not taking a step closer to each other, not coming to the table because both of them think so strongly they're right. And so they won't step towards each other. This is the point where we can kind of just like brush it aside because like that doesn't happen today anymore. Um, But here's two sides that feel so strongly they're right and that the other is so clearly wrong that they won't come to the table. So Paul's trying to say, you know, we're a family. You're brothers, you're sisters, you're siblings. So you got to come to the table. And you can't just come to the table. families stay at the table. So families come to the table, but families stay at the table. I think coming to the table is one thing and staying is another. Um, I'm sure many of you have had an awkward conversation at like a Thanksgiving or like a a coffee house or something where you're sitting at a table and you're like, wow, this took a really weird turn. I'm gonna go get more food. And you like walk up and leave and then kind of stall a little bit, right? It's easier to leave the table when things get uncomfortable. You're like, ah, I just rather not engage and leave. And so Paul's trying to say, hey, it, it, it's, families come to the table. You can't be locked in on your sides. But not just that. You have to stay here when things are uncomfortable, right? Yeah, it's hard to stay at the table. But you don't get to turn your back on family. You don't turn your back on family. And so here's what he says. He says, staying at the table is going to take sacrifices, It's going to take sacrifices when things get hard. Romans 14, verse 13. Let us no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. What's Paul's uh, solution to these very real problems? Saying, knock it off! Stop! Both of you stop. You mutually have to sacrifice. You both have to take a step towards each other. Weak, you gotta stop playing God to the strong. Strong, you gotta stop using your power and influence to belittle the weak. You gotta take a step towards each other. Would you do that to your brother? Would you do that to your sister? We're family. So you gotta take closer steps to each other. Here's where things get challenging and challenging, I think, especially for me. And so I will feel this tension with you. Anyone here, an oldest sibling, anyone here, the oldest sibling, give like a, like a uh, oldest siblings, we won't raise our hands because we're, that's like not what we do. But internally, we all know, right? You're like, a youngest sibling would throw their hands up right away. Middle child might have two hands up. Um, <laughs> oldest sibling is staying, is staying quiet, right? And one of the reasons, me too, I'm an oldest sibling, one of the reasons, we kind of know this is a reality. When we were growing up and when we would fight with our siblings and mom or dad would come in and have to say, hey, knock it off, hey, stop causing problems, stop causing, causing uh, mess, um, we knew there was always going to be a little extra for us, right? We knew he was going to tell both to stop, but then there would always be a little extra for the oldest sibling, Growing up, um, time my brother and I, my brother's about four years younger than me, we were pretty, I mean, that's pretty close in age, and my sister's 12 years younger, so it's, we don't we're not have the same experience. Um, but growing up, my brothers and I would fight a lot um, because we were two young boys, and we would clash and fight a lot and argue, and my brother is the complete opposite personality of me. Um, so uh, we, would, we would get in clashes, and my mother would have to come in and say, Andrew, Trevor, knock it off you got to stop. But I knew after she would stop both of us, she would have a few extra words for me. She would say, hey, I know your brother's really loud. I know he's really uh, uh, energetic. I know he's driving you crazy. But you're the oldest. you got to take the first step to him. You've got to rise above it first. And I think we get that in Romans too. Go ahead and flip the page or, or whatever. Look at Romans 15. We get kind of this extra step, I think Paul adds in, where he, he's saying, hey, both of you got to knock it off. Both of you got to take a step towards each other. But then he has one more word for the strong. It says this in, verse, in 15 verse 1. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us must please our neighbors for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself. There's an extra little bit for the strong. It says, strong, welcome the weak. We're following along. It says, strong, welcome the weak. Um, You got to do more. He's saying, hey, this isn't Jerusalem. This is Rome. And in Rome, strong, you have the power. You have the privilege. You have the social status. You even have location on your side. And so if someone's got to take the first step, if someone's got to be welcoming, it's you. Saying, use your power to empower the weak. Um, It's it's interesting. We actually see this idea of weak and strong come up, um, not just in Romans, it also comes up in Corinthians. And it's it's a similar idea. They're fighting over food. um, And there's again this idea he's saying, weak, you got to take the first step you, you got to be willing to, to welcome in. Strong, you got to be willing to welcome in. I don't know if I said weak or strong. there. Strong, you got to be willing to, to, to take the first step. You got to be willing to welcome in the weak. Uh, Paul's language, in a sense, is, is so strong that, that commentators, um, there's a commentator named Michael Gorman, and he's saying, this is, in a sense, Paul saying, hey, the insistence on the right to eat such meat, when it might cause someone a weaker conscience, right, someone who, who thinks it's wrong and believes it's unclean to fall into idolatry or or to sin? That's unloving. He's saying such, such an attitude towards that knowledge of rights is arrogant and self-centered, and therefore unloving. In Corinthians, we get this that famous passage of of love, right? And in it, he says love builds up, it builds up others. I think this is hard. But I think Paul knows that. And actually, what hits it home a little more is he includes himself in the strong. I don't know if you noticed, but the first word in Romans 15.1 is we. We who are strong. In a sense, there's a debate and Paul's chosen a side. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on the strong side. And yet... We need to sacrifice. And yet we need to do more. Paul's not trying to settle an argument. He's picked a side, but again, he's not trying to settle an argument. He's trying to build unity. He's saying, you being right isn't what matters. You coming to the table, you being together, that's what matters. If you're too worried about being right, the church is going to split. You're going to have a Gentile church and a Jewish church. We need to come together. And so in a sense, to the strong, he's saying this again. He's saying, hey, you being right not what, what's important. I believe you, right? I think eating pork's fine. I do it, you know? He's saying like, hey, I'm okay with that. But if you want some pork, maybe don't bring it to the church picnic. <laughs> Go hit up McDonald's on the way home, all right? If the, if the kale salad wasn't very good, that's fine. Just hit, it, hit the drive-thru on the way home. Don't bring it there wait one moment what's important is unity you're seeing yourself your wants your desires as greater than the community you're putting yourself above others it's not supposed to be that way in church i think that's a hard thing to hear that was probably a hard thing to say i think it's hard for today I mean, we live in a very individualistic world, way more than the Romans did. I think, in a sense, this is easier for the Romans because they're a little more communal. For us, it's a, I think a little harder. For me, it's harder. Right? We live in a world where people fight to be seen. Uh, or a world where sometimes it's the loudest voice that's considered right. And so we have this pressure. But Paul's saying it's not supposed to work that way in church. It's not supposed to work that way in church can't put yourself above others. And I would say, and maybe you would say, Paul, what about blank? What about this one issue? What about this one thing? What about, uh, um, I don't like this food and I really do want the pork, right? It's okay, right? You said it was okay. What about this? I think Paul uses kind of like the ultimate like silencing card. Like he, he plays the, the best wild card for last. He had been saving it. Um, uh, Paul says in verse uh, fifteen five, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together with one voice, the God and Father of our Lord, um, of our Lord Jesus Christ, welcome one another, just as Christ welcomed you. You know why you have to sacrifice? Paul says, Jesus did it. But well, what about Jesus did it? It's like, Jesus literally sacrificed his life. Like, he did it. And so, if we're his followers, we have to strive for it too. And that's the hard thing. And so, here's a challenge for us then. Now, uh, uh, the, as we'll soon see, uh, this idea of the weak and strong, uh, it's not just contained to 14 and 15. This is the first time where the labels come out. But these ideas might resonate throughout. And so we'll get to it a little more. But here's the first thing as we start, is this challenge. Paul says the church is a family of families. Because it's a family, we've got to be willing to come to the table. We can't drag our heels. We, 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 can't, we can't clench too tightly in what we want. We've got to be able to come together. We've got to be willing to at least come to the table. And when things are hard can't just get up and leave we got to stay there we got to work at it so here's the challenge will you invest in your family we're a family family of families will you invest in your family are you willing to come to the table if, if you see something or you experience something and it, and it irks you and you're like, oh, this is, this is not the way I want it. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This sermon is longer than five minutes. <laughs> you know? Are you willing to come to the table? And even more so when there's still that tension, when things don't just immediately go the way that we want it to go. And this is the hard thing for me. Will we stay at the table? sometimes i, I want to come in and i'm like hey i know what to i know what to say or, i know what to do and i'm and i'm like prepared at the table but i'm not coming with the right heart so will i be willing to, to come to the table with the right heart and to stay we're about to enter into summer here and and since you have the youth pastor talking he's going to talk about how crazy summer is going to be it's going to be awesome but crazy and so, as a church family, will we invest in our family? God's going to do some wonderful things this summer. I know it. I believe it. He's going to do some awesome things. We have VBS. We have Tesoro. We have Vertical Life. We have other classes going on. We have so much happening in the summer. Will you begin to invest in your family? When I uh, was growing up, I uh, I didn't get an allowance for doing chores. So, like, I wasn't paid, like, according to what chores I did. Um, I, I did the chores. I was told I had to do the chores because I'm part of the family. Uh, I did get an allowance, but that was for teaching me kind of how to use money. Um, and, but the idea was, it was trying to show, hey, everyone in the family chips in. Everyone chips in. Um, and, and I think this idea still has resonated with me. It's this idea of fam- your you family. Don't turn your back on family. You buy in. Everyone chips in. Sometimes now when we go down on Thursday nights, um, it's nice to get a home-cooked meal or it's nice to have my parents buy dinner for Katie and I. But sometimes the idea resonates, everyone chips in. And Katie and I say, hey, we'll take care of this one. Or, hey, we'll do this. Um, Everyone pitches in in the family. Everyone comes to the table. Everyone matters. So will we, PCC, invest in our family And as we go through Romans, hopefully the idea is, this will be in the back of our mind, that there's tension building. There's tension in this church. They can't get along, and Paul's calling them to unity. And he's calling them to unity throughout the entire letter. And he's building on this, and he's building on this. He's calling us to more. Will we begin to listen? You pray with me. god as, as we look at a church who shows us um, that tension is nothing new uh, that tension isn't some uh, modern problem but is something that has sadly existed uh, throughout your church and throughout time um, god and as we explore these people we pray that you can push our hearts as well god that you you can you can poke us in, in, in the ways that we need to be moving Lord, so let PCC be a place, God, that is full of a family. It's a family of families. And let it be a place that comes to the table. And when people disagree or when people um, feel strongly about something, that, that they're willing to come to the table. We're willing to see unity. God, and that when things get hard, as they will get hard, that we will be people who stay at the table because family Matters. God, so we lean into you. Um, and, and we know this is hard, and that's why we ask for your help, God. I pray in your name. Amen. Amen.